Welcome back, everybody, uh, to this episode of Missionary Mondays on the Who Will Go uh, Outlets. This is Brother Caleb Taft. He is a missionary uh, to Uganda, Africa. That's in East Africa. We'll talk more about that in a minute. And uh, I'm so thankful for Brother Caleb. He and I have been friends, uh, I guess, for about a decade now, right at 10 years. We've known each other, and uh, we've gotten to see God do a lot of great things together. And uh, we'll maybe talk a little bit about that. Uh, Brother Caleb, you doing all right today? Doing good. Yes, sir. Doing good. What time is it there? It is 440. 4.40 there. And it is 9 o'clock, 9.40 in the morning here. So there's quite a time difference. And uh, we're just going to get right into things. And uh, I'm thankful for you, Brother Caleb. First of all, I want to know, has that baby come yet? Not yet. We've got about three more weeks, so we're down to the wire. My wife, Miss Angel, she usually uh, has, within that last month, there's no telling. You, know, you just have your bags packed and be ready to go, so we're expecting that any, any day or week now. Now, the folks that are watching or listening, um, Brother Caleb and them, they've already got, is it four kids or three kids? We have five, five. this will be number My six. My goodness. Yeah. Y'all been gone too long. I'm sorry. Uh, they, they got a bunch of kids. They're real missionaries, all right? But can you imagine yeah. being there? This is the quarantine time of 2020, if you're watching this later, and they, can, they can't go far out of their house and all this, and they're in a third-world country about to have a child. And uh, I tell you what, that makes Miss Angel a hero in my book. But uh, let's get right into it, Brother Caleb. Uh, the first thing I want us to talk about today, and this is just our format that we always go with, but uh, could you tell us about your call and your background? I know a good bit about that, but I, I want you to tell us about your call, your background, your testimony, things like that. Yes, sir. So uh, we'll go all the way back to uh, when I was eight years old. I guess it was a week before my ninth birthday. And uh Brother Ed Ballou had come to preach a revival meeting at our church there in Roanoke, which was El Bethel at the time. Of course, me and you know that church now is uh, called Souls Harbor. Yes, but uh, it was in that revival meeting that God began to deal with my heart about being saved. Amen. And uh, that was on Wednesday night. And I guess as far as I remember, that wasn't the first time I was afraid of dying or the first time I was afraid of of going to hell, but it was the first time I ever realized that I was lost and needed to be saved. Yes, sir. And uh, so God dealt with my heart on Wednesday night, but uh, like a lot of people, I gripped the back of the pew and gritted my teeth and fought it. But uh, when I left church, God would leave me alone. And I, I was, I, I, and you know, in my eight-year-old mind, I thought if I can get back to church on Thursday night, I'll get saved. Yeah. And, I, you know, I could have got saved in my bedroom that night. But in my mind, I thought I got to get back to church. So I asked the Lord that evening to let me make it back to church. Well, I made it back to church that Thursday night. And God was dealing with me. 
and uh, that was when I got saved. Amen. I accepted him. Got saved, and then uh, you know, through my teenage years, I kind of uh, was off and on again with the Lord. Cold and hot, and cold and hot. And at 19 years old, the Lord began to deal with me and began to really chasing me uh, to, to to get back right with Him. And uh, so, through through severe chastisement in my life, the Lord brought me back. I got right with the Lord and answered the call to preach and something the Lord had been dealing with me about since about the age of 12. And, uh, but I had fought it and rejected it for some years until finally, uh, the Lord, he knows, he knows exactly how to get our attention. And he got my attention that at 19, answered the call to preach, spent some years there at run Oak. Of course, you know, you were a part of that revival meeting we had there at faith. And uh, that was really the first place the Lord began to deal with my heart about Africa. And it was just a subtle, just a subtle hint, but it was in that five-week revival meeting. I was in my office at home, and I was praying, asking the Lord to give us some direction about what he wanted me to do uh, beyond preaching, you know, what, what his plan and his will for my life was. And I had heard stories of, of missionaries taking a glove off with a finger, you know, so I'm in my office. I take the globe off my desk. I spin it. I stop it with my finger, and it lands on Sudan, Africa. And I thought, man, I'm crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm in here spinning this globe around. But still, that that was in my mind, you know. Uh, so even I, I even talked to Brother Bud, my pastor at the time, and uh, told him, you know, Brother Bud, I don't know if I'm crazy or if if the Lord might not be directing me to Africa. And he said, well, he said, if, if the Lord wants you to go to Africa, he'll give you more than a globe spinning around in, in your office. And I said, yeah, you're right. So we went on about our business. Well, about, I don't know, maybe three to six months later, I can't give you a precise timeline, but uh, Brother Jeremy Holloway stood up in church. About, I think it was about six months later. He said, God's been dealing with me for months. He said, me and my family are going to be missionaries in South Sudan, Africa. And I thought, man, that is, that is, that's crazy. Because it wasn't too long ago, my finger was sitting on, 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 the, on the continent of Africa, sitting right there on Sudan. He so, must have had a globe too, Brother Caleb. Uh, something. <laughs> there was something going on. Uh, but anyways, there again, I just, you know, I didn't know what the Lord was doing, and I always had a burden for, for Africa and even for Brother Jeremy and what he was doing in South Sudan. But, you know, I, you know, the Lord a lot of times works a little slower than we would like. Yes, sir. Uh, and I think that was just him opening the door and putting it in my mind and giving me some 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 direction of some sort. So fast forward to 2016. Brother Jeremy Holloway had been here in South Sudan and then in Uganda. And uh, pretty much all the missionaries that were in South Sudan had to come back into Uganda because of the civil war that's going on there. And uh, he had come home on a furlough. And I just, and I know it's not by chance, but what I'm saying is we hadn't planned on meeting. Uh, so I just ran into him there at the Walmart run and we got to talking and reminiscing and and he said, brother, why don't you take a trip with me to Africa? 
And uh, I said, well, I'd love to go with you to Africa. And he said, well, I'm leaving in two weeks, and I'm going to be gone for the entire month of February. Well, I, I, th I thanked him for the offer, and I truly did want to go. But at the time, with an electrical contractor, and we had a big project going on, and I thought, there, there's no way my boss is going to let me leave for an entire month. And then, two, I didn't have the money that I needed for a plane ticket or for for leaving my job for an entire month. Yes, and so I just said, man, I, I appreciate the offer, but I just don't think I can make it. And uh, we left off talking, and I got home that evening, and boy, the Lord just began to deal with me strongly about making that. this trip. But I I couldn't see any way that I could make the trip. I didn't have the money. I didn't have anything that I needed to go. So I went to bed with it that night. I woke up with it that morning. All morning at work, I was trying to work. And God just continually dealing with my heart about taking this trip. And so finally, I put my tools down and I told the Lord, I'll call my boss. And if you want me to go, you just, I don't know how I'm going. I don't know. I don't know, I don't know any of the details, but if this is what you want me to do, I'll make a step in that direction. So I called my boss and uh, he was a Christian man. Not, a, not of the same denomination or flavor as us, but I believe he loved the Lord. And I called him and told him that I had an opportunity to go to Africa, but the thing was I'd have to leave in two weeks and I'd be gone for an entire month. He said, well, I'll tell you what. He said, we'll, t we'll have somebody come in, take your job, uh, take your position there and finish that project your own up and you get back, your job will be here, your trouble will be here. We're not going to fire you or anything like that. He even gave me the vacation time that I didn't even have. We didn't get uh, – no one got a month of vacation, but he just gave me the time off and even paid me for my two weeks of vacation to help out. And so I thanked him, and I called Brother Jeremy. And I said, Brother Jeremy, I said, you ain't going to believe it, but uh, I'm going to go to Africa with you. He said, that's wonderful news, brother. You, do you have a passport? I said, no, I don't have a passport. You <laughs> he said, well, yeah, he said, you better be figuring that out. And so I got online and I couldn't find anything that sounded very promising. Yeah. Everything was just kind of up in the air. So I decided I'd just go to the passport office and talk to somebody directly, which was in Atlanta. So we drove to, sorry about that. We drove to Atlanta and I went uh, into the passport office, told them my dilemma and I needed one so quickly and the lady at the desk passed me the paperwork she said you fill all this out and I filled it all out and I brought it back to her and she looked it over and she told me that she would have my passport by three o'clock that afternoon so wow. I got my passport the same day I, we just hung out in Atlanta and come back to the passport office at three and I got my passport and uh, until this day I've not heard of very many people that happened no. very often it, it was kind of a, a, a rare Currents. The lady just pushed my paperwork to the front of the line and got it done for me. So, Lord provided my passport. And then Brother Jeremy Holloway uh, called me and said, "Hey, my mission board has decided they're going to pay for the ticket of whoever goes on this trip with hey, me because man. he was going to do by himself." So, uh, there was the ticket paid for. Uh, and so, I'm still lacking a good bit of money that I need to go, but my passport, my ticket's taken care of, and. There was people started giving me money out of nowhere that didn't even know I was going. They just come up and say, yeah, we felt led to give you this. And then 
another another big one of the bigger things that happened in that time was uh, we had a preacher scheduled at our home church, Amazing Grace, to come and preach our wild game supper. And uh, he got snowed in up in North Carolina and couldn't make it. So my pastor called me last minute that day and said, hey, do you mind coming and preaching tonight? Which I was going to be there anyways, but he wanted to know if I'd preach the thing. So I said, yes, sir, I'd love to. And we showed up. I ended up taking up an offering, a rather large offering that paid for the rest of the money that we needed to go on the trip. That? So. Uh, and, and the thing is, no, nobody there even knew I was. I hadn't even told my pastor. I was going to ask uh, if he knew. Now he didn't. He didn't even know until after that. I told him that night. So uh, it, the Lord just miraculously provided for that that first yes, trip and, and every trip since. But really, on that first one, it was. Uh, I mean, just within two weeks. I'd never been on an airplane before. I didn't have a passport. I didn't have thousands of dollars that I needed to make a trip. God provided everything that I needed. And so we got on a plane for the first time in my life, and we flew over here. We were able to go to Kenya, Uganda, and South Sudan in that month. So we were, we'd spend a week, a week in Kenya, nearly a week in Uganda, and almost a week in South Sudan. And all the other days were spent driving. Those are thousands of miles that we traveled in that month. But I can't begin to explain to you what the Lord did in my heart and in the meetings that we were in. Uh, in Kenya, the Lord was saving people. Uh, we helped the church get, and I'm not saying we birthed it, started the church, but there was a, a Bible. There was a group of people having a Bible study in their home, and they wanted us to come preach. Well, we preached and the Lord moved in and there was a couple of people in the house that were holding the Bible study, ended up getting saved. And, and you know, you know, and I, not to sound, uh, I'm not, I can't think of the word that I'm trying to use, but, uh, you can't explain the movements of God. It's hard to put words in what all God was doing. So, uh, there and then in Uganda and then up in South Sudan, the Lord was just meeting with us in all the meetings and he was working in my heart and we got to South Sudan the last week of the trip and it was coming down to the end of the trip and I was praying and I couldn't help but think about, you know, that day I was sitting in my office and my finger was sitting on Sudan, Africa and uh, here I am sitting in, in Africa, so I was praying. I said, "Lord, there's no doubt. None of this is a coincidence. But if this if this is really what you want me to do, will you give me a verse of scripture to hold on to? Something that that that, that, that can be an anchor for me when I say I'm here because of this. Yes. And that's really how the Lord's dealt with me in my life and big decisions. He'd give me a verse of scripture to hold on to and claim as a promise. So." I was praying in that direction and I got up from, from praying and was reading my Bible and the Lord just put Deuteronomy 121 in my heart as I was reading it. I come to Deuteronomy 121. The Bible said, Behold, the Lord thy God has set the land before thee. Go up and possess thy fathers has said, Fear not, neither be discouraged. And so uh, I took that verse. I felt like the Lord gave that verse to me as a confirmation that he wanted me to come and, and, and take, take the land that he'd sent me to. And so I wasn't going to tell anybody. I was going to keep that to myself. And 
wait till I got back to America to have that conversation with my wife. Yes, sir. I asked her, and I didn't feel like that was a conversation for the telephone. I felt yeah. like that was a, a face-to-face conversation. And to be honest with you, not that Angel had ever bugged the system or wanted to reboot, but I was a little nervous about, hey, honey, let's get the kids and move to Africa, you know? Yes, sir. Uh, I'm praying about that, Lord. Deal with her, you know. (laughs) I I don't want to have to fight this. So it was the day or the day before we, uh, Angel had called me through WhatsApp and uh, we were talking and she said, Honey, are we moving to Africa? And I said, Well, tell me what you're thinking. And she said, Well, all morning the Lord's been dealing with me. She said, she said, I, I got a verse of scripture that I can't get off my heart, and I'll read it to you. It's Joshua 1.16. says, And they answered Joshua, saying, All that thou commandest us, we will do. Whithersoever thou sendest us, we will go. Amen. So I, I didn't even have to have that conversation. Man, <laughs> and, uh, I was worried about the conversation, but while he was over here dealing with me about it, he was over there dealing with her about it. So uh, the conversation, there wasn't a conversation to have. Uh, the Lord took care of that for me. So I was extremely thankful of that. But, you know, as they say, the rest is history. We were on deputation for a couple of years. I think from that first, I come home on that first trip in March. And and we started, we started deputation part-time in July of that year. And then up then we started full-time deputation beginning of 2016. So we're on full-time deputation uh, from 2017 up till August of 2019. So right about two and a half years full-time deputation and made, made three or four more trips after that. And every, every tank of fuel was paid for every hotel room. I don't have any complaints. God took care of every bit of it. And I don't think he's going to ask his people to do something and expect them That's to right. foot the bill. That's right. Uh, he, he, where he, he, he is going to equip. He didn't ask the children of Israel to cross over the Jordan River uh, and then just let them wait out there That's in the right. water and get washed. He, he did, it did, it did require some faith. They had to walk out into the water. The priest, when their feet got in the water, God did what he had. That's right. So I'm not saying our feet didn't ever get wet. Uh, but when it got right down to time for business, God took care of it. So yes, I'm extremely thankful of that. And uh, it, it would take me too long to tell you how good God's been to us. Amen. Uh, through deputation, through uh, making the trip over here and providing for us to, to make the, the move and to get our, our, our work visas and all, just the amount of paperwork and money and all the things that have went into moving here would have been absolutely impossible outside of a miracle from yes, God. Sir. So we're extremely thankful. And I guess that's uh, that's where we are today. We're here. That's so. amazing. Now, Brother Caleb and the folks listening or watching, they they know that you originally felt like South Sudan was where God wanted you, and now you're in Uganda. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, sir. So at the beginning of our deputation, and even on my first trip here, I had a, a I had a burden for South Sudan, and you know the Bible says, "Thine eye hath affected thy heart," and it would be impossible for any 
human with any amount of love in their heart to go to South Sudan and not have a burden for these yes, people. They, they, I can't even teach the things that you see on TV. Uh, you know, you see kids drinking out of mud holes and things like that. It's, it's like that and worse. And so it's impossible with anybody with the love of God in their heart to go up there and not want to go and help these people. And so I had a burden for that place. And to be quite honest with you, Brother Chris, I never had any clear direction from God about where I needed to go. Yes, I just knew that was where my burden was. And so at the beginning of our deputation, that was that was where I thought we would be going because I that was where my burden was. And the, the more we tried to go there, uh, it seemed like the more the door would close. Yes, and I, could, I can't explain that to you, but every effort we made to try to get in that direction, the Lord would shut the door. Uh, about a month after we left, civil war broke out, and a majority of the missionaries had to leave. And there was one man that stayed behind, but just here recently, someone run him over with a car or with a, he was on a motorcycle, someone run him over and he ended up having to be uh, flown back to America and have surgery and all this stuff. So I can't explain to you why the door seems to be closed there right now. Uh, but I think back to when God was closing doors in the Apostle Paul's life, he had a burden to go over here, but God called him yes, into Macedonia. And I personally, with my own mind, can't explain that. I don't understand that. But all I know is that despite our best efforts to get up there, the Lord continued right. to close the door. And so around, two, let's see, it was, the, it was June of 2018, we made a trip. Me, my wife, and my pastor and his wife made a trip because I still was uncertain about where we needed to be. I was thinking maybe I could go up to the northern part of Uganda and try to minister inside the refugee camps there. And so we made the trip. With The whole purpose of the trip was to, to take a complete survey of Uganda. Yes, sir. It's, so we went all the way north and all the way back down to where I am now in Entebbe. And when I got to Arua, I didn't know which was the town that I had been planning on or thinking about going to. When we got there, I couldn't tell you where God wanted me to be, but I absolutely knew he didn't want me there. I had zero peace about being in that town. Yes, sir. I still to this day don't understand that because I still have a burden for those people up there. Yes, sir. But something that helped me to kind of cope with that, with why you could have a burden for this place, but God had you somewhere else was the ministry of Paul. Yes, sir. And how... It's obvious that he had a burden for the Jewish people. Absolutely. And he said that he would he was willing to even be a curse for them. I mean, he was willing to go to hell if it meant that that they could be saved. But his calling was to the Gentiles. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. And so I seen it, it, it ain't it wasn't just me and other missionaries that I've talked to where it seemed like God was moving somewhere else. Uh, even in the life of Paul. You find him going into the temples and going in and trying to witness to the, the Jews, and there's nothing wrong with that, but his calling was to the Gentiles, yes, while his burden mainly was to the Jewish people. So I guess that's that's the closest thing I can do 
closest understanding I can come to coping with why I would have such a burden for this place and but yet feel like the Lord has set me here in yes. and it was on that trip that the Lord kind of placed in Tebby in my heart. I'd never considered it. Uh, but after that, I began to pray about it, and the Lord really began to give me peace about it in Tebby. And where I was experienced, closed door after closed door, trying to go north. I mean, the Lord began to just open the doors for us to come to in Tebby. And well, it, it take me too long to tell you what all he did in us getting here to Entebbe, but we, I come here, I made a, a small survey trip, a two-week trip to find a house. Within that two weeks, the Lord put me in a place and found a house and made an agreement with a Christian landlord. And then he's opened the door for us to rent this church building uh, with, with a good-sized piece of property. And it's just, for me, it's, it's unmistakable how the Lord is just, done all this Absolutely. what i know that he's placed me here and i know i feel like we're right where god wants us but i still have a burden for those people Amen. up there and it's our prayer and that the lord will allow us to, to, to grow the church here in integrity and get it established and get it strong and then this can be a a a hub for for us to reach into other parts of the country, uh, but for right now, I feel like the Lord has my main focus on the on the on the health of this church, growing this church, and preaching and teaching, and trying to to establish a healthy church yes, where ministry can come out of. Amen. So. I, I want to mention something before we move on. Brother Caleb mentioned a five week meeting. And that had a profound impact on both of our lives uh, back in 2011. And Roanoke started under the tent, uh, ended up going five weeks. 140-something people got saved and just shook a town. It shook a town in the fact that the folks that really were loving the Lord and walking with God, it sent them out. There are people that have been sent out of that meeting. And then... There was a lot of people in that town that we found out didn't love the Lord as much as they said they did, and they got really mad about it. I, I think that's the Christian way to say it. Uh, yeah. But and that's what a move of God will do. It'll. It, I, I understand the context of the scripture, but it'll separate the wheat from the tares, and it'll. And I've always said that a, a real move of God, if you look at the Bible, a real move of God always promotes holiness. And it always mm. promotes going. And right. uh, out of that move of God, Brother Caleb, indirectly, Brother Caleb was affected and, and, and eventually went to Africa. Brother Kevin Knowles, who is also in Uganda, God called him or started dealing with his heart about service during that. He was a very comfortable younger preacher in a church, had a good position there at the Christian school. God put him in a pastorate, and then God sent him to Uganda. Uh, brother uh, Michael Overton, who is a missionary, is he in Uganda as well? Brother Caleb comes yes. back and forth. Yes. Brother Michael, yes, sir, he's back and forth to Uganda, and then Brother Jeremy Holloway, who comes back and forth and is doing work uh, with Africans, and and it's amazing to me. That's not counting the young men that God sent out to youth pastor or to plant churches or to, to all the other things, and it's amazing to me when God moves in an area. It proves the fact that God doesn't want us just to sit. He didn't save us to sit. He saved us to send. 
and that's what he did in that move and i'm so thankful for that time and and getting to be together in that time it changed my life i just started in evangelism and it, it just it shook my life so uh so that's about your call well brother caleb what about can you tell us about the people that god's called you to the culture the history uh things like that uh could you tell us about the people there in uganda Yes, sir. So they're very, they're, they're very tribal. Uh, and now Uganda is more developed than places like South Sudan. Now, South, South Sudan, the tribal mindset really, really affects everything they do. And, and it's still the case here in Uganda too, but just not to the extent that it is there. But, uh, they were, let's, let's go back. They were colonized by Britain. Yes, sir. So back in the long time ago, early 1900s, early, late 1800s. And then they finally gained their independence from Britain in 1964. So the city that we're in now, when, when they were under British rule, was the capital. Okay. When they became an independent country, they moved the capital an hour north of here to the city of Kampala. How many people and are in your town, Brother Caleb? In our town, which is, as far as land mass goes, is much smaller than Roanoke, Alabama. Oh, wow. There's about 85,000 okay. people. And that's according to their census, which is, is hard for them to make yes, accurate. So anywhere from 85 to a little over 100,000 would probably be accurate. That's amazing. And the, they, still, they, they still respect those tribal lines and a lot of their culture and a lot of their mindset and a lot of the way they do things and think about things is affected by uh, what tribe they come from uh, and then two they're most of them and you know i'm not trying to speak for the entirety of uganda because i've only been here almost a year and so i still have a lot to learn uh, but i have found out that they're very superstitious okay uh, there's witch doctors, uh, and it's not a it's not something you would do out in the open, but it's it's common practice. Even the people that are going to uh, churches when they they'll go to church on Sunday, but then throughout the rest of the week they're visiting witch doctors to yes, get sir. charms, to have curses removed from voodoo. them. Sometimes it's voodoo. Yes. Yeah, it's pretty much. I don't know what they call it. But it's it's voodoo. That's why Africa's always been known as the dark continent. I mean, it, it is bound with strongholds and witchcraft. It, it, the whole continent is system is sad. Right, and so, and then with with that mindset, uh, the Pentecostal movement has really really taken off here. And I don't mean like you know they might speak in tongues once every you know couple of months. I mean like. Benny Hinn style, slapping people in the head, flopping them on the floor, and just outrageous, outrageous stuff. And, and and the pastors, these Pentecostal pastors, have become more of diviners or, or or mediums than they have pastors. So they'll people like, for instance, people come to me and they want to tell me about a dream they had. Mm -hmm. They expect me to interpret that dream for them because that's what all the other Pentecostal pastors are doing. And then they, they want, they want, they've come and asked for us to have a deliverance service. And I didn't, I didn't even know what they were talking about, but what they meant was, 
and from what I found out from some other good brothers that's been going to church with me that helped help me to explain some of this stuff is that the, they, these churches will have a deliverance service and what it is is the church is delivering them from the curses that's been put on them by other people or by their ancestors and so the majority of your churches here even what we would consider evangelical or whatever you would want to call them in, within the Pentecostal movement it's it's went so far out into left field that it's turned back into that that th the, the thing that they've been used to their whole life which is people putting curses on them and, and so the pastor becomes like another witch doctor yes, sir. who is delivering them from curses interpreting their dreams and then you have uh, then you have these these prophets and the pastor says he's a prophet and he's gotten a word from God and so you <laughs> it's like extra biblical revelation yeah. you know they they come they don't they don't the Bible is you know, it's secondary. They'll take a piece of scripture and they'll just completely take it out of its context and say, the Lord wants you to do this. And the people follow them. I mean, blindly. These, these prophets here have, I'm talking huge, huge followings. Mm -hmm. Church in Kampala, one of the pastors, he has a rice field. He has, uh, he raises chickens and, and in, inside the church he sells holy rice. He sells holy water. And people are buying this stuff at like 10 times what it would cost you to buy it because they think that somehow or another he's blessed this Man. stuff. And even there's some Pentecostal church animals. So while there are tons and tons and tons of churches in Uganda, the uh, vast majority of them have drifted back over into that voodoo mindset, you know, the, having curses put on people, breaking curses off of people, sacrificing animals. So, uh, and that's not to say that there aren't some good national pastors here. There are some good national pastors that have gotten the gospel and went and preached the truth, but they are very, very few and far between. Yes, sir. Man, yes, sir. that's, and, and see, I, I think in America, we don't think that that kind of stuff exists. We don't have any, but y'all, it's not just there in Africa. I've I've experienced that kind of stuff in Papua New Guinea. I've got friends down in South America with the the uh, native people down there, and they uh, they 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 deal with that kind of stuff. And uh, this stuff's real. It's not it's not just something on a Disney movie, which is sad. That's how we've introduced it to our generation or our wow. culture. Um, it's not just witchcraft, and it's not some pretty witch in a in a Disney movie. This is real stuff. And uh, the power of darkness is real, and uh, man, it's. I'm glad you said that, brother Caleb. And and that, that kind of answers almost your next question: is what is the greatest obstacle there? And and everybody I've talked to, and I've seen it, is uh, I've never been anywhere as far back in the jungle as I've ever been. Uh, I've never been anywhere that where false religion hadn't gotten there first. So I'm guessing that's that's the biggest obstacle there. But but go ahead, brother Caleb. Right, yeah, and, and that, that's what I'd have to say is that, you know, I was having a conversation with with uh, some of my friends. You know, we have some friends in Albania. Yes, sir. Uh, Brother Aaron is there and, and several others from our, uh, from World Harvest there in Albania. And Albania, you know, and I can't speak for Albania, but them being a communist country for so long, 
there are a lot of people that don't have any beliefs. Yes, sir. Uh, and so they may be fighting. And not just Albania, but a lot of countries you go to, you'll be fighting uh, unbelief. Yes, sir. But when you come to Uganda, you're fighting belief. Everybody believes uh, something. They believe something. You know, the first time I come, I thought, oh, these people had never heard about Jesus. I was, <laughs> I was extremely wrong yes, about sir. that. The thing is, it's not that they haven't heard about Jesus. It's that you don't know what they've heard about yes, Jesus. Sir. And, you know, sometimes it seems to me like it's harder to combat somebody's beliefs. They have something that they're holding on to. If, if somebody is not having anything they believe, then all they have to do is accept the truth. Uh, but when you've got a group of people that's holding on tightly to so yes, whatever belief it is that they have, you first you've got to convince them that what they've got is wrong. That's right. And then they'll have to accept the truth. And uh, that's that's been the battle here. We have a we have a man in our church who has uh, come from a Catholic background, and I don't know what his I don't know what his uh, his hesitation is, but he's even admitted that he was lost. Uh, but and even he's even been to the point of tears, but. I've tried to have a conversation with him one to one. I don't know what his hesitation is, but for some reason, I think he's his family. You know, he don't want to. He doesn't want to let go of his family. He doesn't want to be ostracized from yes. him, even though it wouldn't be as, as severe as if like he was coming from a Muslim family. But uh, so many times when I'm talking with someone, they want to talk about speaking in tongues. They want to talk about. They don't want to talk about the gospel. They won't talk about whatever it is they're wrapped up yes, in. Sir. They won't talk about dreams. They won't talk about all this stuff, but they, they're not interested in having a conversation about the gospel. So I would say that that is probably our biggest obstacle is all the false teaching that has come in. Yes, sir. Um, it really, it, 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 I knew it was here, but the longer that I'm here, the more and more it just blows my mind at how, how, far out in left field this teaching is and really not even any any doctrine or structure to their teaching they just believe just whatever blown about by every wind of doctrine there's not even any structure to their beliefs it's just you know whatever feels good or whatever makes them think that they're free from a curse or, or, or whatever their their mind that is so uh, that that has proven to be Pretty difficult to convince something there thinking is the truth. Uh, but I'd say, as far as a need, probably our greatest need is is a move of the Lord. Yes, sir. We need God to move, and that, that's been your—I guess you could call it your slogan or your 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 something that you've said for years and years is "blow wind blow." Yes, sir. And that's what we need. And it's not just what America needs. It's not just what Uganda needs or Papua New Guinea. But anywhere we want to see God do something, we're going to have to expect it from yes, him. Some snow, some water, God gives the increase. And that, that's what we're praying for. And we, we want to be found busy. We want to be doing yes, what sir. You there, Brother Caleb? God's called us to do preaching, taking the gospel. Yes, sir. Can you hear me? You broke up. Sorry. All right. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, well, I don't know. 
that that's uh, that that's the answer I figured you would give. And and you said something very profound, but it's very simple. Earlier, you have to attack what they believe. And mm-hmm. most people in America, we don't know what we believe. We don't know why. We know mm-hmm. know what we believe, but we don't know why we believe what we believe. And I, there's and I I may have said this in a previous episode, but I'm gonna say it again. There's so much preaching about you need to be saved or you should get saved or uh, if you don't get saved, this is what's going to happen. But very rarely do I ever hear some a preacher take a Bible and say, this is how to be saved. And every Catholic you meet in America or Uganda believes in Jesus. The, the, the issue is what Jesus do they believe in? Do they believe in a biblical Jesus or do they believe in a Catholic Jesus? Every every Mormon believes in Jesus. Uh, every Sabbath day keeper, they believe in Jesus. And the issue is we they have their own preconceived notion about Jesus. And I'm not just saying this to Brother Caleb. Brother Caleb knows all this. I want to reiterate what he was saying. But we do have to attack their false doctrine. And you said this. You were talking about uh, it's harder to get people that have a belief to believe than it is to get people that have no belief. And I've said for years, it it is harder, I believe, to get somebody to repent from works than it is from, from wickedness. Okay, the drunkard oh, yeah. knows he's miserable. The um, the the dope head they they've they've know what it's like to lay in the gutter. But that religious man that's got pride and position and somebody to pat him on the back and a religious figure to tell him he's okay, it's really hard to get that person. And like you said, we don't see it as much here in America, but there is such a tribal culture and the family centric uh, people. You know, they are scared to walk away from their family's religion because they are going to be ostracized. They're going to be persecuted. And as you said, a Muslim is going to be persecuted a lot more than, you know, say a Pentecostal. But still, they are, they are so hung up on works they're, that they're, their culture is already driven by emotionalism and mysticism. And then when you get a, a missionary to come in or a preacher that rises up and they, uh, they are just tapping into emotionalism and mysticism, that's a really hard barrier to break. So we need to pray for these missionaries. We need to pray for these men and women in third world countries and in America. I mean, you go out west. I know people that have men saved in their church that that are Lutherans, and they're scared to death out west. They're scared to death that if they become public about their salvation or get baptized publicly, that they're going to lose their job. And sometimes they do, Brother Caleb. And we in the South, we don't think about that, you know. Oh, you joined another church. Nobody says nobody says nothing about that in Roanoke, Alabama, or Dallas, Georgia. But you go out west, you go overseas. It's a big deal. So we need to pray for these barriers. And I want to say this, and um, we're, we're almost done. I, I, Lord willing, we're going to try. Did we decide February next year? Uh, try to do a trip in February. Uh, Lord willing, we're going to try to do a trip to Uganda in February next year. And if you're watching this, uh, this is May of 2020. I don't know. This will probably go out closer to June. But if you are interested, if you're hearing this on the podcast, uh, if you're watching uh, via YouTube or Facebook, uh, give us us a – send us a message. uh, Email us at cq44 at gmail.com. We are going to be, Lord willing, taking about a two-week trip to Brother Caleb uh, next year. 
and we're going to be doing a, tr a meeting, Lord willing, there in their town. But I want Brother Caleb real quickly to tell you about uh, the refugee camps that we're going to try to uh, uh, reach out to. Would you would you talk to him about that, Brother Caleb? Yes, sir. So the the Civil War in South Sudan has driven millions of people into Uganda. Uh, in the northern part of Uganda, there are refugee camps that uh, you get you get varied answers on how many people are there, but it's over a million for sure. Anywhere between one million and two million. So oh, goodness, nearly you know. Tons and tons of people up there. You can go into the camps and just drive for 24 hours. You'd never see all of the settlements. And uh, when I say camp, you know, a lot of people have in mind of tents and things like that. And that was the case at the very beginning when they were just settling there. But because they've been there for a few years now, they've actually just built their own mud huts and thatched roofs and, and started growing. And they're trying to make that home as much as possible. And uh, some, some are going back to South Sudan, some are remaining, but South Sudan is still very unstable. So, uh, you know, some return, some have to come back. But either way, there are some national pastors there already, which are affiliated with Brother Jeremy Holloway. And we are, we are wanting to go up into the, into the camps and hold a, a revival meeting one, for the edification of those national pastors, and two, is an evangelistic campaign uh, to, to reach those people yes, that are there. So uh, our plan, and it's been in my heart the whole time to do that. We, I've gotten to go up there to the camps just once before, and then in South Sudan once before, and uh, the need is great, and the people are open and receptive to the gospel. Uh, they, and, you know, here in the city that we live in, it's much like a city in America. People don't have time to listen to the gospel. They don't have time to stop and have a conversation that they're going about their business. And, but when you get out into the villages, people will sit down with you, listen to you, and have a – it's not just putting track in somebody's That's hand right. and trying to have a two-minute conversation. You can sit down and have a conversation with someone, and you can just – you can start preaching – and a crowd will gather to come and hear you preach. They want your, they want the tracks you're handing out. They want to hear what the Bible's got to say. They want to hear somebody preach. And uh, it, the fields are wide under harvest. The Lord, the Lord, the people's heart. A lot of times, all the the bad things that people go to go through, a lot of times, it soften their hearts. Yes, sir. And I promise you. Some people it may harden their hearts, and uh, some people it may soften their heart. But there's many, many people up there with soft hearts that want to hear Amen. the gospel. And uh, the times that I've been able to go, people have listened, have have been very receptive, and they want to go to church all night long. Uh, <laughs> not like we'll be checking the watch. Now they'll uh, they'll go they'll go into the wee hours of the night going to church. So. Uh, that's our hope and our prayer. We get to go up there and, and, and make an make a effort to preach to the lost and to be a blessing also to the national pastors that are there, laboring yes, there now. Uh, so, yes, sir. Man, and I, that excites me. Brother Caleb talked to me about that years ago before he ever got to uh, Uganda, and I'm really praying 
that we'll get to go. Listen, if you, and I understand there's pastors there, but he's talking about millions of people. And I promise you, not all those people have heard a, a, a clear presentation of the gospel. And if you want to go somewhere, uh, whether a young preacher, uh, you, listen, and you don't have to be a missionary uh, or a preacher to be a mission, do mission work. I, I, we've got young men that go with us on trips every single year that are not preachers, and they uh, they go with us on mission trips and helping the mission. Listen, uh, if you're interested in going and preaching the gospel in the regions beyond or taking the gospel to the regions beyond where a lot of people have never even heard. Um, and this sounds like, like he said, a field is wide under harvest. We'll get to do a, a village or, or do a, a, a revival there in town with his people and then go out to the um, bush. And, uh, and you know, it's going to be, it'll probably be tough. It'll probably be a little rough, uh, rougher than normal. We're not going to be staying at the Holiday Inn. All right. There ain't going to be no cookies at the desk. But uh, that's Hampton Inn. I'm sorry. Hampton Inn. If there are, don't leave them. There ain't no, <laughs> not going to be any room service. Uh, but if you are interested in uh, it, it getting out of your norm, getting out of your box, and going and seeing what God's doing, uh, please please contact us, and, uh, and, and it, it, we'd love for you to go with us. I'm going to put Brother Caleb's information in the uh, in the description of the video, or if you're listening by a podcast, you can contact me if you want to uh, if you want to contact with Brother Caleb. Uh, listen, uh, share this on Facebook. Uh, it'll be on the Who Will Go page. Share uh, share it on YouTube. Get it around and uh, share share the podcast. Uh, we've gotten a lot of feedback already from the episodes that's already went out, and this this is designed. Uh, in Matthew chapter 9, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. And we are praying that, but we want, he said it, every missionary that we have interviewed has said, thine eye hath affected thine heart. And Brother Caleb said it, we've had other people say it. Listen, uh, we want you to see the need. We want you to hear the need and uh, help us get the word out and we we appreciate everybody and your support brother caleb thank you for coming on today and i sure do appreciate you and uh listen uh pray pray for these barriers to be brought broke down that as he said that the the wind of god the, the wind of heaven will blow there in africa and uh tear down these strongholds that the gospel will go forth in power and demonstration we love you folks i hope you have a good day don't you hear my Savior calling? I said, who will go and work today? Yes, fields are ripe and harvest waiting. Who will bear?